What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn, what are you doing over there? Well, you know, it's a brave new world, apparently. So there's plenty of indoor activities for everybody. Yeah. yeah. I'm just busy at my home right now, Skyping you in between my uh, online lessons with people. Yeah, that's good. I've seen that you've started to change your platform a little bit because we can't go off and do our overseas seminars or local seminars or even catch up with friends and colleagues in the park. We can actually change that to online. So there's plenty of uh, dog training opportunities for people. They Mm -hmm. can get in touch with us online. But you know what else they should do in this time of uh, difficulty and isolation? What's that? Stockpile dog training equipment. Wouldn't that be crazy? Yeah, if they're in Australia, they can get that equipment from Ironswick Dog Clip. And if they're in North America, they could get it from Canine Dynamics. What about if they need some tasty treats for their dogs? Well, if they need tasty treats for their dogs, the best place to get that is from Bright's Bites. So they can visit our friend Mark LaPointe, the Furminator up in Queensland, and Kylie, who's in Victoria. Absolutely. Yeah. May as well stockpile dog equipment while you're stockpiling toilet paper. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> So before we wind this ridiculous ad up, tell our people how they can find you if they're looking for you for online consultations. Yeah, you can go to my website. It's operantk9.com.au. There's a training tab and there's the book a session. You can do that there. I'm doing them over Zoom now. It's really cool. We can share screens and we can talk and mm. I'm really happy with it. Yeah, how about great. you? Are you doing that? Yeah, I'm doing a few consults. I've started doing a few. I've been approached to do a few more. So people can either contact me directly and we can set something up or they can contact my team. I've got Kana and Twisty and Tegan from Canine Evolution. They're doing online consults. And well, you're still allowed to. They're doing the social distancing of one-on-one consults if people are are well and they're presenting okay. So they're going through all the correct procedures with that and we're still doing all our daycare at Pet Resorts Australia. Perfect. Yeah, there's plenty of options for people in a crisis. There's plenty of people around the world offering great services and great techniques. So take advantage of it while you can. Yeah, get on it. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. And joining us on Skype is Sharon Matteson from Peggy's Promise. Hi, Sharon. Hello. Welcome Hi. to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for asking. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for coming on. We spoke a while ago about wanting to find an animal industry charity that we could throw some weight behind. And so yep. we wanted to talk to you today about Peggy's Promise. Fantastic. Can you tell us... What's the story? What Mm. is it? Uh, Peggy Promise was basically put together by a group of volunteers in around 2014. They'd all been in rescue at some point um, doing individual things, so they thought they would come together and basically decided their first uh, point of call was going to be helping the homeless and people who had their own animals that wanted to keep them. So Peggy's is actually a real dog. She's a three-legal animal that is still alive. Okay. And that was the first thing they started helping with homeless people. 
Okay, cool. So it was homeless people who, like, how did they become homeless? They fall through the traps or it's because they had an animal that couldn't go into a, a, you know, um, a place to we, live? We, we never really ask questions about why they've ended up on the streets or why they've ended up where they are, but they put their hand out or they have a, you know, like a call to say, my dog's been injured, it's been hit by a car or, you know, do you have any food or flea treatment, etc. And we just help where we can. So we don't really ask them why or what the, how they've ended up where they are. Sure. Um, it's just making sure because often the only thing they have in the world is their animal yeah. and that's their family. Yeah, and so, so you we guys, we can. you started out doing that, providing yes. food, flea treatment, basic medical care essentially for homeless people's dogs. Yes, and then it just morphed into bigger and bigger and bigger. Like we had lots of people who were working or were on pensions and things like that that couldn't afford their own vet care, so we would do vet care for them. We also then just, you know, rescue anything that we possibly can that's within our power or within our financial constraints. We have animals that we flew in from northern Queensland. We've had animals we bought from Canberra all over, really. As far as Queensland, I think it's about the furthest. But we help anyone that we can. We've helped, actually helped people petrol-wise. We've given them petrol so they can get one of their animals to the vets that we've actually booked the vet appointment for. Uh-huh. So, yeah, we do everything. So that's how it's morphed into today. It came from just being like homeless people's pets to now anybody who's, I guess yeah. I would say your focus then is like the medical needs of pets uh, as well as rescue, right? Correct. Yeah. So we'll supply also like food for people who can't afford to feed them. We also have a um, last litter program in place whereby we will um, take the puppies or the kittens or whatever animal they have, mm-hmm. and then we will actually desex the female for nothing. Right. So we rehome all the puppies and they're desexed, worm fleed, chipped, vaccinated, etc. But we will also do the mother dog for nothing for them. So we actually don't keep on going with, you know, backyard breeds. Yeah, but, perfect. You know, puppies aren't needed, etc. Uh-huh. So tell us a little bit about the team. Who, who have you got on board? So there's myself. I came into the team about 2016 when I first um, adopted a puppy from Peggy's and then I just started fostering and then from there it just morphed into now I'm the coordinator for dogs, fostering coordinator for dogs and all the adoptions. I also chair, we also do all the fundraising, etc. We also have Megan, one of our lovely ladies. She does like our coordinators, our donations and much else. Elena is our director, so she does a lot of the financial components of Peggy's, coordinates and has sort of like co-relationships with a lot of other sort of people in the industry. About 99% of the people that are in our our team are volunteers who do fostering. They do transport for us. They'll pick up goods. If they can't do anything, they will do little bits, like they might donate, you know, like from – a bag of dog food right through to a pallet full of dog food. So it just depends. So our team ebbs and flows. We also have our cat coordinators as well, who is headed by Anna. And then from Anna, she has co-coordinators and then foster carers from there. So we're a little team, but we hopefully do a lot. So Sharon, I just want to be completely transparent with everybody who's listening to the show because Megan actually works for me up at Terrigal at Pet Resorts Australia. And I just wanted people to know that because I don't want people to think, oh, you just got these guys on just to favor their charity. Pat and I have been talking about this for quite some time and we even were prior to going to air because there's a lot of charities out there who they sound like they've got good intentions, but they actually utilize the money and the charitable funds for 
selfish and self-promotional reasons, like they start paying themselves a great big whack of money and so forth, which is very dishonest when, you know, people believe that they're giving a, a like a truckload of money to help out for genuine needs and hardships and they utilize it for themselves. But what I wanted to say that where I'm leading to all this is I know Megan and because I know my staff know so much about Peggy's promise, like 110% vouch for you guys, like they've absolutely said, these guys, when you're talking about hardship, they've got dogs living in every spare corner of their place, all their rescuers, all their volunteers have got dogs stuffed into every room of their house trying to save them from the streets and save them from euthanasia. Yes. So I wanted to have a complete transparency there. So if people said, you know, this is just a favoritism or you're just looking after your mates. Number one, this is the first time I've ever spoken to you. Correct. You yes. and I have never met each other before, but I've heard of you through your work. I know of <laughs> the reputation of Peggy's through a lot of people on the Central Coast of New South Wales. I obviously know about you through Megan, who's just an amazing and such a lovely, dedicated person. I mean, she's basically given up the remainder of her life to look after people's throwaway pets so she can be yes. a part of the solution, not the problem. So after talking to a bunch of people and getting the background and knowing the real story, that's why I said to Pat, you know that charity we're looking for? I think we found it. And he said, well, let's get him on the show and, and we should talk to him and find out a bit about it. So that's why we got to here. Fantastic. We put so much energy into Peggy's. Like I work full time as a nurse and then every waking moment is Peggy's. Like I have my husband, who is an amazing individual who tolerates me. Sometimes I've had like 19 <laughs> animals here. I have many foster fails and we are ethically, what you see is what you get. We, we don't pull punches. We are very honest with what we do. Anyone can actually look at anything we do and it will be purely what you see is what you get. So yeah, it's, it's amazing to be on. Thank you so much. So you said something interesting that you got involved with the group because you got a dog from the rescue. Tell us about that and how, how that came to be. Yeah, so I've always had S rescues and then when we, we bought a little bit later in life our property and from that moment it was like, you know, I'm going to go for this now. And I was looking for a little puppy and they had 19 dogs and puppies that were uh, surrendered from a hoarder's home. And so I put an application in for one of the little puppies and went there and met them. And then about two, three days later, they were asking for foster parents and they had a litter of five-week-old puppies and two of them had been burnt really badly by home remedies trying to get rid of fleas. Right. And I put my hand up to rest to foster, which I'd never done before, and then I've never looked back. So one of those puppies we foster failed. So a foster fail is basically you foster and you can't let the puppy up or the dog up, so you actually adopt it. Mm -hmm. And then I just kept on fostering. So I've had, probably had about – Oh, easily between 500 and 1,000 puppies and dogs through my home. Um, <laughs> Good yeah, Lord. Yeah, sounds nuts when you say it out loud. <laughs> yep. I think everybody in rescue is slightly nutty because, you know, you do so much and you go, like I would travel anywhere for an animal, mm. probably not so much for a human. <laughs> and then we just started fostering and then I took over as the coordinator, I think about three years ago, and it's just gone from there. It's something that's changed my life. The best thing apart from my kids and my husband that's what I breathe. I love it. You do have to be a certain type of individual to be involved in rescue because it very much is. Yes. <laughs> look, to be honest, it is a job that, well, it's not just a job. It's a lifestyle 
that really yes. demands so much from an individual and not just an individual, but the group that's involved in it. We had a lady on our show before called Dallas Berkovitz from the ACT, and she's been involved in, in different types of rescue groups herself. She gave us a rundown and a rendition of what goes on in her own life. And mm. this has very much been something that I've witnessed firsthand when I've been around to people's places and there's crates everywhere and literally their time between getting home, feeding their family is, you know, it's an all-in effort for everybody to be uncrating animals, taking them for exercises, giving them stimulation, spending yep. the rest of the night on the phone to people who are interested in maybe taking on the dog for a forever home and so forth, answering emails. I mean, it's leaving one job to come home to another, another two or three oh, yes. jobs. So it's an incredible yes. sacrifice. And, <laughs> you know, I just want you to know, I guess what I'm trying to say is I appreciate you and everybody else who is involved in that because it, it really is giving up so much and sometimes it can be so painful and hurtful about what you're actually having to deal oh, with yes. on the other side, which everybody else has the convenience of not having to deal with. Yes. It is quite hard when you get people who don't appreciate what you do as a volunteer because not that you want credit or anything for it, but it's the people that are impatient or I put an application in last night and I haven't been told, I haven't heard back or the expectations of what they want in a rescue. Like I want the rescue to be perfect. I want it to be this, but rescue animals are there in rescue for a reason. They've been traumatized or abandoned or just really people just don't give a gut, like they don't care about them. So for every one people like person like that, there's a thousand people that are amazing. Like I cry all the time over animals that I've rescued, but when I can get a rescue out to a really amazing home, and we've had people that have travelled from Perth to pick up a dog, mm. and that just makes you just feel incredibly privileged that you've been part of that because there's nothing better than an animal and a human connecting and you just see that animal going, oh, I've just found my mum or dad, and that's what it's all about. And that's what keeps you going when you're really tired or, you know, you've had a really bad experience with an animal where you've had to say you can't take it because you're absolutely chock and you've got no one that can take that animal. That's It makes it okay. Mm. So there's a few things I'd like to discuss with you. The first, which I thought was really interesting, the idea of how you guys started in that you're providing funds and food in the form of relief for people who can't afford to look after their animals but are intent to yes. keep them. Because I think yes. in a lot of the time in rescue sort of prevention is better than a cure, right? So um, oh, yes. rather than rehoming people's dogs, if, if you can keep them in a loving home, you're mm. better off than, you know, if they just can't care for it. So how much of that yeah. are you still doing? Is that still a big part of Peggy's Promise or has that sort of given um, way to the, the more the rescue part? It sort of ebbs and flows. Like we might have a massive influx where we get people contacting us saying, you know, my dog's just been hit by a car. They're not necessarily homeless, but they're just not – they just don't have the funds. Like, you know, people get dogs for different reasons or cats for different reasons. And they're not sometimes, you know, looking to the future about, oh, financially, can I afford if my dog got hit by a car? Mm -hmm. So an example of that was we did have a homeless person that was living in her vehicle. She actually, her dog got hit by a car. And like I was saying before, like we actually met her at a service station so we could give her money because she was worried about someone taking her dog. So we right. said, no, 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 we'll make the appointment for you. And we even gave them a few days' worth of accommodation um, when it was really hot one day and they were sitting basically under a tree in a park. So we get people saying, my dog's been hit by a car. I can't afford the money. I said, well, we, we sometimes looked at them and say, well, we're a bit strapped at the moment. Can you put something in? Yep, I can donate. Or 
there's other things like they might be able to, you know, they might want to donate, you know, like some knitted blankets or something. So we actually assess everybody at the time. Like obviously sometimes we've got no money whatsoever. We only, we're not for profit. We get no funding from anybody. We rely heavily on donations and our adoption fees, which basically cover nothing. Mm -hmm. So it depends on what we can afford at that time. Some people we have to turn away but others we can pay for everything from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Other people take advantage. Yeah, that's what I meant. That, us, that's kind yeah. of where I was going with this, isn't mm. it? How do you assess those people? Because yeah, that would be of concern it? to me. Like, like I'm even hesitant now to ask you, how do people get in contact with you? Like, how do people find out that you're a, an organisation that can help in that sort of thing? Because I wonder how many people would just go, you know, I don't want to pay for this. And, like, maybe they just are shirking responsibility. Like, nobody likes a big vet bill. I've had some, mm. I've had some whoppers in my time. Yep. Yeah. Nobody likes a big vet bill. And sometimes... Here's just an example, right? Like my dog has $6,000 worth of teeth that ended up falling out, right? So I shouldn't have even paid that. I should never have even done it, but I bit the bullet and did it. And then it did, they didn't last because of you know the way he bites and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But anyway, so what kind of is your assessment criteria on that? And how, do you, how are you able to do that? Like you say that you assess everybody. How do you prove genuine hardship? Yeah. Well summarized, Glenn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good question. So we do sometimes get contacted by uh, social workers or caseworkers through Mm -hmm. uh, mental health services or through the hospital system. So we know those people are genuine because sometimes they're in hospital and no one's looking after their animal. You know, we might drop some food over there, but then they might say, you know, this dog has got, you know, like a splinter in their foot and we can't afford to get it. So we know they're genuine. We also have a relationship with Coast Shelter at Gosford as well, so they contact us through those. And everybody else, we just have to assess and we have to honestly be open-minded. So we, we, you know, people will tell us what they want, obviously. We don't look at their financials. We obviously are mindful of ethics, so we actually find that we have to take people's word for it. We also get referrals through the vets that we use so they will actually say have someone contact them and say listen my dog x y and z they need to be de-sexed or whatever like you know they've got ca like cancer and we can't afford to do any work so we'll get referrals through that as well but everybody yes we really have to take their word for it i guess we have to trust people I guess, Sharon, it goes back to what you said before, you know, with dealing with upsetting people. 99% of people are genuine and and what they provide to you is genuine hardship reason. So that's totally understandable. You'll always get, and even some of the most secure places on earth still get that 1% of people who slip through the cracks. And, you know, they always say that the 1% ruin it for the 99% of people who are genuine. Well, you know, I, I guess really we can't live a life based on what those 1% of people do because they're going to slip through and be slimy, unethical, amoral type of people anyway. And that's really not the focus on where the work goes, I suppose, because, you know, other charitable organisations that I've been a part of or been a part of their panel or anything like that, that's where their focus is as well because, yeah, you'll get duped. Somebody will dupe you across the line and, you know, as much as – the disappointing thing is that's where a lot of focus goes, that even on the news when somebody dupes an organisation, yeah. that's where the focus goes. But they don't look yeah. at the 99% of really good work that does need all the attention and focus and all the yes. deserved donations and whatever. Yeah. We do tend to speak to people too. Like we don't tend to do it a lot through texting or email. So we do tend to get a feel for the people and the people that feel that they're entitled you have a conversation with them, you sort of get the idea that, you know, hang on a minute, 
we're a charity. We run on no money. Mm-hmm. Um, and what little money we have, we're trying to help you. And sometimes we just have to say to people, well, I'm sorry, but we can't help you this time. So sometimes you get a feeling when someone's talking to you that, you know, I don't think you're very genuine. So, yeah, but everybody else we really have to take on their word. And most people that actually contact a rescue generally are very honest about their circumstances because usually they're going, well, I don't normally do this. I'm really, really sorry to contact someone, but I really need help. There will be that percentage of people that say the right thing. And So let's unpack that a little bit as a rescue. Mm. You know, yep. sorry, I have to ask you the hard questions because that's, you know, I'm yep. doing so on behalf of our listeners who are then going to push to yep. support you, right? Yep. When someone contacts you and says, hey, I've got this dog that I can no longer care for and or, you know, yep. what are some of the examples of why someone might call you and surrender their dog? There's quite a few people out there that surrender them because they can't put time into their animal anymore, which is very frustrating. Mm-hmm. They're usually the ones we have a conversation with about what do you mean, what sort of dog. So when people contact us, we have we generally have a set sort of questionnaire sort of thing. Why do you need to surrender the animal? Can you tell me as much as you possibly can about this particular animal? Obviously, if we have an animal that comes in, they're aggressive. We tend not to be able to take those animals because we're putting these animals into foster care Mm -hmm. and that normality of life, you know, with kids and other animals and puppies and dogs and people. So if they say it's because they're aggressive, we can guide them towards getting assistance and tell them, have you tried X, Y, and Z? But most times we can't take those aggressive animals for a lot of obviously reasons I've just mentioned. Mm -hmm. Some people just say that, you know, someone's passed away in their family and they can no longer care for it or the dog's outgrown them or they're unwell or they can't afford their vet treatment, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a whole barrage of different reasons. Mm -hmm. Some people just, you know, they're elderly and they've passed away and no one wants the animal. Mm -hmm. So we'll take, you know, old dogs, young dogs, puppies. Puppies we take usually anyway regardless of whether we can have got capacity because it's obviously about making sure those puppies don't go out into the world free. Mm-hmm. We fully vet them all before they go out. And like I said, we've desex mum. But we do get a whole variety of different reasons. And some of them are quite, well, some of them make me angry. Yep. Mm. <laughs> because, you know, I bought a high energy dog. I knew it was a dog that needed high energy release, such as walking, running, playing, training, socialization. And I don't have time for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's that's usually one of the Quite a high percentage of people contact us and say that. Yeah, I can so imagine. So that, that makes us that, would drive. that makes it hard. Yeah, that drives so all dog people up the wall, right? If we can take that for that reason, that's fine. We will we will rehome. But the aggressive ones are the, usually the ones that we find we we can't do as much as we'd like. If we had a facility, it's different. But these guys are going into private homes, so we have to be very open and honest and say that if they're aggressive, we can help you with this X, Y, and Z. But we often can't take those animals. Mm-hmm. When someone contacts you, you know, you guys are a small organization that are doing your best to help people one-to-one. How do they get in contact with you and not, say, the RSPCA, who are a huge organization, have giant kennels and a a great big checkbook that are, you know, set up to do this sort of thing? Why would they contact you or why should they contact you rather than the RSPCA? Basically, the way people contact us is usually word of mouth. Like mm-hmm. we do a lot of stalls at like street paws, like they support us. It's like a street paws festival. We have a stall there. Every single person that actually is part of Peggy's wears Peggy's shirts, has Peggy's cards. 
We do have a really good name on the Central Coast, like lots of people, like when people are advertising animals or dogs or pets on, say, Coasty's Bag of Bargain or any of those sorts of platforms, they often say, please don't give your dog away, contact Penny's Promise. Mm -hmm. We often say to people too, have you actually contacted larger establishments where they might have better capacity? And they'll say, yes, they can't take this dog or um, they've refused to take it because she's got behavioural issues, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of our referrals are through word of mouth. Mm-hmm. A lot of people know us now and we have a website, we have a private group, we have a public group. So there's lots of platforms now. People. We also have a co-relationship with the three pet stock stores on the Central Coast. Mm-hmm. So all our cats and kittens are rotated through their cat enclosures. So they support us as well. We have adoption days where people can come and actually look at our animals. And we do lots and lots of promotion. Like our dogs and animals are always advertised using different platforms. Mm -hmm. So there's lots and lots of ways people can contact us. So I guess if I was to summarize that for you, it would probably be that you're more boutique. Probably, yes. Mm. (laughs) Yes, probably. We're smaller. We're not fussy, though. We um, will take anything. We've had horses in, ferrets in. We've got a beautiful old girl at the moment that's got cancer all over her body. We shipped her up from Sydney, and she's probably going to be a palliative dog, but we'll keep her in care. So we have a variety. We've taken 8-year-old, 10-year-old, 12-year-old dogs on, uh, three-legged dogs, dogs that have been hit by cars, put huge amounts of money into parvo dogs. So we're not, we're not fussy. We will take anything. If we can help it, we'll do it. While you're talking about that dog, Megan was showing me pictures of a dog that you've got, like I think it's an Amstaff or a Staffy or Bull Breed type of dog anyway that came to you guys completely riddled with tumours and so forth, and she showed me a before yes. and after picture. Can you tell us the yes. name of that dog and her backstory and how you guys got her back on tracks and looking so good? So we got her contacted by a sash in Sydney, they had found this poor animal wandering around an abandoned apartment building and she had growths all over her body. She had tumours around her genitalia. She was emaciated. She was in shocking condition. So Sash put a call out to ask if there was anybody that was willing to take on this girl. They took all the tumours off her. They desexed her for us and we said, yeah, absolutely. So her name is Luna. We're a little bit unsure of her age. She's probably between about three and six, but she's just been used as as a breeding animal. And then obviously when she was no longer needed, she was just abandoned. So she's in care at the moment with one of our carers and she's doing amazing. She's just had a second checkup. Uh, The vets are really, really happy with her progress. Her skin condition is probably going to be her ongoing problem in the future and they don't know whether her tumours are actually going to be something that's going to be controllable but at the moment she's fine and so hopefully in a few more weeks we can put her up for adoption and someone obviously has to take her that knows that she's going to have an ongoing skin condition and these tumors may or may not come back but she's called one of our palliative girls which Mm. will support amazing job that you guys did with her like just on the basis of the before and afters was just incredible the amount of care and attention to detail that was provided for her Yeah, she's a beautiful dog. She's come Mm. a long way. If she passes away within a couple of years, she deserves to have the best for her now. Oh, absolutely. So that's what we'll give her. So tell us about your like adoption rates. When people are forced into a position where they need to put a dog in care with you, what's going to happen with that dog? Because you talk about this dog, that Luna that you're talking palliative care, 
most yeah. people, most big organizations will look at a dog like that and say, hey, too hard. We can't manage this. This is a dog that can't go into a home and be someone's pet dog because of the ongoing requirements. Yeah. And that dog would yeah. likely in any other organization be looking at euthanasia. Tell us about what yeah. happens for every dog that you can bring into your care. When a dog comes into care, regardless of the age of the animal, we Obviously, if we've got a little bit of background, it makes it easier, but sometimes we don't because sometimes we, we source our animals from rural pounds, rural like, as in rural. They're so far out, there's absolutely nothing for them out there. Right. So we have to take the word for whoever's got that dog that this is the dog that's coming in. So we assess them. We put them into the appropriate foster care family, whether it's other animals, whether it's a, a, a solo dog. And then from there, we will do all its vet work. So we will de-sex, vaccinate, flea, treat, any sort of vet work, like if it needs its teeth removed, cleaned. We had a dog that came in that had a golf ball size bladder stone. We removed that for the dog and then we did a full hysterectomy to make the dog safe. So basically every dog's assessed. Every dog goes out fully vetted. We don't send any animal out undesexed regardless of the dog's age. If the dog comes in and they're 10, we will still desex them before they go out. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we do have an adoption process. So we have an application process. They have to send us lots of documentation about where they live, how they function and all those sorts of things, why they want the animal. And then there's an adoption fee. So the adoption fee covers basically not a lot. So all our puppies from zero up to six months are $550. And then from there, they go down. So six months plus us $450. And then if we have dogs that are palliative or we have dogs like eight plus, we then make a decision about whether there's any cost or whether we just send them out with maybe a little fee, et cetera, et cetera. So it can be a long drawn out process, but we are very thorough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I suppose a lot of people get kind of wrapped around the axles of adoption fees when, you know, yes. the sexing and the medical treatment of the dog is really all that that's going to cover at that, at that rate, right? Because you're putting yeah. out these dogs that have had quite a lot of medical care in your custody, right? Yes, that's right. So we had a puppy that was brought into care that was suspected parvo. And as most people would know, Parvo, um, if it's not treated, can actually end up where the dog dies and not pass away in very good. Yeah, it's a, it's know, like it's terms. about a, it's about as horrific a death as you could imagine mm. a Parvo death. Very much, yep. So she came into care. We didn't know she was Parvo positive. We assumed that she'd been vaccinated. When she came in, she was really unwell. She started having lots of gastro sort of problems. Popped her into the vet, found out she had Parvo. So from that point, she must have been in the vets probably at least. Oh, four to five to six times and we had to move her from vet to vet because she needed over like overnight care so that lovely girl is still alive she's absolutely beautiful now she's thriving she's ready for adoption so parvo in itself alone can cost up to five thousand dollars just to treat the dog mm -hmm. wow so she came in with no other problems she was perfectly healthy apart from that a beautiful little girl her name is chelsea and she's thriving now. So it was so worth to see. Yeah. So in another environment, she probably would just would have been euthanized. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's yeah. kind of the case in a lot of places where we look at the cost benefit analysis there. Mm. And you guys are yeah. really looking to, yeah. to try and save every dog that you possibly can, which I think is pretty cool. Yes. Tell us a bit about your program to becoming a carer. Maybe that's one way that people could assist if that's possible. And, you know, how do you bring oh, people yeah. into the organization and what does that look like? So basically what happens is people either contact us wanting to be foster carers or we might put a drive out. So say we have 
a group of dogs or a puppy or a dog uh, that's coming into care from, say, we know they're coming into care. So say they're being transported from, say, northern Queensland and we know they're coming. So we'll put a call out. We need foster carers. So what we tell people is the same sort of spiel every time. You need to have – you need to reside – on the central coast because obviously all our vets and mm-hmm. all our support processes are on the coast. They need to have a fully fenced garden, which is secure, which they have to send us photos to, or they have to have one of us allow one of us to come and actually um, go and have a look at their property. Every single animal within that household has to be fully vaccinated and fully desexed. Oh, fully desexed, but yeah, you can't be partial. De-sexed. Sorry, yeah. desexed. Yeah. <laughs> We have to put the animal with an appropriate home. So if we know the dog is going to be a little bit too boisterous for young children, we'll screen them and say, well, you know, or you can't have little pocket pets, like you can't have rabbits because we know this particular dog might maybe want to chase the rabbit a bit too much or something like that. So we always have a really, really tight screening system. We also have a contract they have to sign. So before the dog either or the animal goes into their home, we get them to look at the contract. Is there anything in the contract you're concerned about? And once we do that, we actually say yay or no whether they actually can become a foster parent. Mm-hmm. We also have a foster carer's Facebook page where they are all part of that, like as a, a family, like you know, we communicate with people. And we also actively encourage all our foster carers when we have an event to bring their animals so everybody can meet each other and, you know, there's, this, there's sort of like that communication and that contact with everybody. So, But we screen them very, very there's a very tight screening process. Mm-hmm. And do you guys do any like ongoing training for those guys? So you get together and stuff and have like a, you know, this is, or, or do you expect people to come in pretty well versed in their, in, you know, looking after a dog? Because I do all the fosters for the dogs. I don't do the cats, but I do all the dogs and puppies. Mm-hmm. I always have a conversation with them. I always chat to them either via messenger or via the phone. And I always get an idea about what's your experience. Like most people are really honest when they want a foster. They go, oh, I've never had a dog before. Well, okay. Well, it doesn't mean you can't have a dog, but we have to put the right dog with you. And mm-hmm. we also will supply you with support. So if we know a dog is developing, say, you know, some behavioural issues, say they're getting social anxiety when the person who's fostering them goes, we actually can put them into training. Mm -hmm. So we can put them into uh, pet resorts, support us, and we can do some training processes there. We use either Terrigal or Dural. They also have those training weeks or processes where, you know, the new trainers are coming up, so they'll need a dog that they can actually use to do their training. So we benefit and they benefit. Mm, The NDTF Um, program. Yeah, that's right. So Mm. we're always available. I mean, I'm on my phone almost 24-7. Someone can contact me at any stage. I'll shout I'm having a real issue with this particular animal because of, and we will give them support. So it's either we remove the animal to a different environment because it may not be appropriate, or we will actually support them in in different ways. So we'll say, what's what's happening? How can we help you? What have you done? And that's because ultimately the dog belongs to Peggy's. It's not the responsibility of foster carer to iron out those things, but most foster carers are really good. They really want to help the animal, mm-hmm. and that's why they put their hand up in the first place. So it's a rarity we have to move an animal due to behaviour. Mm. Yeah. I think, you know, foster caring is one of the things that I try and encourage a lot of young budding trainers to get into because it's just hands-on dogs, yes. right? So it's yep. a lot of people that's say, that's oh, it. you know, I've only got my dog and it's trained and I want to do more things. and you know, I can't get a start anywhere. Well, there isn't a rescue. <laughs> if you're a budding dog trainer, there isn't a rescue that's going to turn you back, right? Like to say, hey, I'll Not take a all. dog and give me a new one every six weeks because I want to. I want to get hands-on training. It's a. It's a perfect Absolutely. opportunity. Yeah. Perfect opportunity. Mm. Leading into that, that has been a, a really good 
quid pro quo system that Peggy's and Pet Resorts have set up. We've got a few other smaller charity groups that help out too in times of need, which is fantastic. But you guys have really been you know, the main supplier, which is fantastic, where because we've got students that are coming on the group, they need access to dogs that haven't got trained behavior so they can learn with a novice dog, a green dog at the time. And we put the call out to you guys before. So you've supplied us an amount of dogs. Well, the amount that we generally require, you guys send them over to us. We board, feed and care for the dogs. And then the students have access to training them. So it also increases their chances of of being, yeah, it is. It's really, I mean, it's great for both of us, which is why I said it's, it's quid pro quo because our students get fulfillment of the dogs. Plus you guys get dogs that have had stimulation and training during that time, which helps them and it helps their chances of of finding a, a, a forever home as well. Exactly. And we've had a couple of um, dogs that have come through from pet rescue, uh, sorry, from pet resort where people have put such a great amount of time into them that we've actually had them in care for like a year. And we've just had two dogs go out that have been long-termers. And it's just been, this has been the best week for us because one was in care for two and a half years. The other dog was in care for a year and they've gone out because of everybody's input. It's just been phenomenal. Mm. You guys get a fair amount of people that then want to adopt the dog that they used on the course, right? You get a a fair amount. Yes, we do. We get lots of inquiries from people that, you know, have an affection towards the animal. They go, oh, they're lovely. They're beautiful. Yeah. So yeah, the more, the more exposure our animals get, the more exposure they get to people who actually fall in love with them. So it's, it's a win-win. Well, Kana and the girls, Kana and Twisty, that work here as the trainers, when we're doing the course, they write the dogs' names up on the board of who they're getting paired with and all the adoption dogs, they put big love yeah. hearts next to their name <laughs> with a huge adopt yeah. me sign. Yeah. So there really is, you know, encouragement for the right person to adopt that dog. And sometimes yes. it's paid dividends because people have done the training, worked out, hey, this dog is not just an unruly street dog with a bunch of problems. It's actually yep. a pet dog that loves me and I love it. So it's been a wonderful symbiosis that that can actually work well. I must praise and make a special mention to Kana because she's the one that got Tiger out. Tiger's just been uh, just gone on a um, a two week trial with an amazing family, and the only reason she's out there is because the time put in. Because the alternative was we couldn't home her to anybody. So she's just just been one of the most phenomenal, amazing things that's come out of this whole ridiculous way the world is at the moment it's just we all cried when she went out so yeah well let's deep dive into that one a little bit further because megan quite a few times you know would send me messages saying oh have you seen tiger have you seen tiger and i'd say yes yes i said every time i'm standing out in the field (laughs) kana would walk past me and said hey this is tiger this is tiger so yes i really got uh, a lovely introduction to tiger and you know I, i enjoyed watching the videos and the girls giving me updates on what was happening and how uh, the correspondence between Peggy's and Pet Resorts is working out. Like I said, yep. being transparent, it works for both ways. But the yep. main thing for you guys is obviously we're a business, you know, yes. like we have staff and we pay our staffs and, and we make profit. You guys are a non-profit yes. organization. You work off yes. the charitable aspect of your volunteers and for people offering donations and so forth. So, you know, when businesses and charities can actually work hand in hand with each other, some fantastic (laughs) outcomes can actually take place. And this in Tiger's event, that was really an emotional standpoint for a lot of us because she was a dog that had a very questionable future. And uh, yeah, it was great. So yeah, tell us a bit about Tiger, her journey. 
So Tiger came to care approximately 12 months ago. We actually rescued her from up the coast. So she came through on a transport and Megan was actually the person that actually met the transport. So she was the first person that met her. She went into care. We weren't told she had any issues with behaviour. We were told she was a beautiful animal and she was, but she actually developed some aggressive behaviour in one of our foster carers' homes the foster carer was willing to keep her. She was willing to train her. However, there was a young baby in the house. So obviously we were concerned that a baby and an aggressive dog, it's dangerous and we needed to move her. So we moved her into some other kennels and then we really didn't know what to do with her because, one, we didn't have the resources. So then we um, got her into pet resort. We boarded her there for a little while and then we had to move her because we just still didn't have a a foster home for us. So then we had to move it to more kennels because at that point we didn't really know what to do with her. Obviously euthanasia is something we don't want to contemplate with any of our animals, but we didn't really know what to do with her. So we moved her to kennels down in Sydney because it was high holiday movement up here. So we didn't have any kennel areas. Then we moved her back to, to the coast and we moved her back to Sydney and that's when Kana got involved at Dural. So, and then it's just been her putting all her time and energy into her and videos constantly having that connection with us to say this is what she's doing. And then we actually put it out there that she was ready to be adopted. So the screening process, was, which is what I do, screen, 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 lots of meet and greets, and then she's gone out to that family. And it's just been amazing, absolutely incredible. And we get constant, we, we have constant communication between that family. So she's on a a two-week foster trial and then she will be on another trial and when that works out, Tiger hopefully will have found her forever home. Yeah, that's great. It really is a good outcome. Yeah. And, and you're right, Kane has got yes. a, a harder goal with those type of things. She's one person in many that we've got amongst our staff that really goes above and beyond yeah. to make sure there's ethical treatment and consideration for animals, which is, you know, I mean, that that's our mandate regardless. I mean, pet care is our yeah. business, which all our staff are reminded of when they take on the job and it's something that's echoed throughout the the term of their career. Pet care is our job. It's our main concern and it doesn't matter whether it's a rescue coming in to visit or, you know, a staff dog or a client dog. The matter is respect all around and that's one thing that I'm really, like I said, I'm really proud of Kana for her input on that and all of them, you know, she, I mean, she's literally, she's saved Tiger's life. That's yeah. basically what it comes. Well, down you all to. did. That was she's a. It, that. It's a. It's a group effort. It really was. It yes. was a big group effort that ended well. It's you know one of the more difficult episodes that came to fruition. Yes, and it does make rescue. It makes you keep on going. It makes you feel really inspired by things that happen in a positive way. So it's just been a phenomenal, phenomenal, amazing thing that happened. So we're we're just so all. We're overwhelmed with it at Peggy, so it's been great. Yeah. Well, you guys, speaking of overwhelmed, I'm talking in the negative sense now. (laughs) With everything that's going on in the world, uh, COVID-19 and Mm. so many people are in financial hardship currently, what impact has that had on you guys? Like what have you noticed just on the rescue and, you know, helping people out with financially with their dogs? How stretched are you currently compared to six weeks ago? It's been difficult, more difficult for us to move animals. Like before we heard about like the, you know, the relative shutdowns that we were going to have, I managed to get, I think, five or six puppies out in that one week, which was amazing for us. However, we have got vet bills that are just, you know, 
they're huge at the moment. So moving dogs has, and, and cats has been really hard. We've had to pull all of our cats out of the pet stock stores, which reduces our ability for the people to see them, hold them, touch them, love them, and then adopt them. So that's mm-hmm. been something that we've had to really deal with. So we've had to pull them back into more foster carers. We've had issues with getting vet work done because one minute the vets are working, the next minute they're not. So like I said, we can't, if you're not vetted, we can't adopt them out. Mm-hmm. So what we've done is we've changed the way we've done things a little bit on the coast where people are wanting an animal, they're now fostering their animals to adopt them. So the animal's where they want to be, except we haven't actually processed that adoption. So the vet part has been hard because we've normally we just have that constant flow of we have, have the puppy, we vet them, we have an adoption process and the, and the puppy goes out. So it slowed things down a lot. So, yeah, it's made it hard for most people. Yeah. I think everybody is feeling that that impact. And so Glenn was telling me before that, like, all your foster carers now are basically at capacity, right? Like, you guys are full up. Yeah, we are. But surprisingly, we do have a lot of people who want to foster. Right. So it actually has opened that up. However, we're at capacity in the sense that we're trying not to take any animals. We've tried to close our books four times. Uh, for the last three months because we are at capacity and we don't have any money. Right. So it makes it really hard for us to, you know, provide that extra support. We can't pay for transport, et cetera. So, but we've had a lot of people wanting to foster, which is fantastic, but I can't give them, give them an animal. But when we really need foster carers, you know, when COVID is no longer around, we do find that's our hardest thing. Keeping foster carers on our books is one of the hardest things we find. Mm Mm-hmm. Speaking of COVID, Sharon, you're a registered nurse. Yes, I am. My God, you're on the front line on both fronts. Yes. How are you holding up? Very tired. It's very distressing in the hospitals. A lot of staff are being moved around a lot, especially the young new graduate staff. It's an inevitability it's going to happen. Like We have to change the way we do things. But, yeah, people are – it's just stressful. No one knows what's happening. But we're a great group of people, so we're all sort of trying to hold it together for everybody else and – most medical people are pretty stoic. That's why you do it. But, yeah, yep. there's, yeah, it's been hard. We're all exhausted. You hit the nail right on the head before when you said nobody knows what's going on. This yep. is our dress rehearsal in a pandemic, which is yes. something that I've said this many times before. I think I've, I should almost have it as a clip safe so I can just hit a button and keep saying it. <laughs> but, you know, my staff ask me what's happening. My customers ask what's happening. I wish I had the answer for a lot of people because, unfortunately, I, like most of the people in the world and most of our world leaders, we're making this up every day as we go. And that's the absolutely that's undefiably the, the most difficult part of this whole thing is when people are saying what's happened because they need leadership and guidance to feel better about what's happening. It's a difficult yeah. thing to be in a process of being in leadership and then still being powerless to give people answers. Absolutely. So. I guess what we all do is we tell people what we know as we know it, as it unfolds. But that really is the best you can do right now is because every 24 hours, the world changes. There's a shift in dynamics about what's happening. And, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're in rescue, whether you're in pet care, whether you're in human care, whether you're in a workforce or anything like that. A parent, you know, as Pat's finding out having to be, you know, a full-time entertainer for a toddler, 
Mm. Um, you know, like I've been watching, we've been watching videos of him, you know, like riding bikes around his garage and fencing and punching bags and all sorts of things because, you know, my kids are a bit older, they can self, well, that's right, organize themselves. But my 14 year old daughter is like, mum, I'm bored. I went, oh, honey. I really feel sorry for you, but I wish I was bored. (laughs) (laughs) I like to be bored at the moment. It's like, you know, working full time and doing this full time, but um, at least I'm still able to function. You know, a lot of people aren't able to work. They're not bringing income in. The world's gone nuts. It's gone crazy. Somebody said to me the other day, oh, you know, how are you dealing with all this downtime? I said, what downtime? (laughs) I'm working harder than ever. Like I'm trying to keep people in jobs and keep businesses running you know, exactly. and, and scratching together everything we've got and spending every single day researching material that I've got no idea about um, that's exactly. changing every 24 hours. And I said, I'm more filled to the brim of work. So I said, and, and this is what's happening yeah. to a lot of people, business owners and Absolutely. people working within the business are fighting tooth and nail to try and keep everything going and trying to stay on top of yeah. everything that's going. And I, I can't even imagine what it's like for people on the front line of healthcare. It's just unthinkable. <laughs> I think from a community perspective, hopefully now most people are getting the message that, you know, we have to look after each other. And I think the only great thing about what's going to come out of this pandemic process is that I think people are going to appreciate things a hell of a lot more Mm. than they did before. The the basic things of, you know, like, well, let's talk about toilet paper. I mean, everybody else has. Um, (laughs) Basic things that, you know what I mean? It's ridiculous. But basic things that we took for granted, like, you know, going to the park and meeting a family member for a picnic, like, or not being able to see your mother or father and they're elderly. And so hopefully that that positiveness, because, I mean, Aussies tend to, you know, we tend to rise to the occasion um, and hopefully all that stupidity will go and uh, hopefully it will just be a blink of an eye and we can go back to normal. Yeah, it's just unfathomable, isn't it? Like just the yeah. the amount of things that you're not allowed to do or cannot do yes. for fear yep. of endangering lives or even your own. I mean, simple exactly. things like going for a ride in your car without yep. a justifiable reason to do it. it that's just it, exactly like I can't ride my motorbike anywhere. You know, I'm 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 yep. not going to impact anybody. I'm, I'm I'm by myself. But then people have said, yep. well, what happens if you're in an accident and then you go into exactly. a hospital where they're already exactly. inundated with COVID people yeah. and, you know, good luck yeah. to you if you're trying to get stitched back together by a bunch of people who don't really know what they're doing while they're on the front line trying to protect lives. And then you think, well, exactly. maybe I really am a selfish arsehole. <laughs> but it's just, that's just not something we do, do we? It's like, you know, it's going not. for a ride on your bike is something that's normal. Well, it's it just a privilege. Gives you a little bit of a look into communism, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I, you look into you know? all this, and you you know, it is first world problems because it is part of leading a privileged and a a lifestyle that's not afforded to a lot of other people. So when you Absolutely. you know, it's been portrayed on TV. You know, we're we're crying about these type of things, but we've got running water food in our fridge, roofs over our head when other people don't even have any of that. But you can go on and on about human suffering because, you know, it's it's, it's inevitable and sad. Yes, Mm. it is. So, Sharon, I I guess, you know, one of the nice things I picked up a lot more overseas, especially in the US, is people have been, for quite some time, they've been saying to people in armed forces, thanks for your service. And I guess we really need to say that to people like yourself that are out there in healthcare and putting your own safety at risk all the time. So thanks for your service too. Oh, you're very welcome. And I think people have to remember also that it's not just the nurses and the doctors, it's everyone that's in the hospitals, mm. everyone from the person who empties the bins right through the person that, you know, runs the finances. It's 
accumulative. Like people are forgetting that there's a big team of people trying to work there, not just the nursing staff and the medical team. So, Well, anybody that yeah. runs towards the fire is basically Absolutely. a hero in that. So they're all in the hot box together and they're all putting their lives at risk. So, yeah, we owe, you know, just as we've been in Australia, we've suffered all those immense fires and those terrible conditions that yes. firefighters and volunteers yeah. kept running towards all the time. And, and yeah. now this, it portrays an amazing group of people who understand the risks and the danger that are involved in it. And, I mean, yeah. Pat's had firsthand work with this as his background has been a soldier as well you know there's people who know that there's danger around the corner yet they forego their own welfare in in the needs of others and and charge head first into it so i guess what i'm summarizing is that i'm very appreciative that we've got people like that in the world that do understand the high level of risk but still understand that if they don't do it who will yep basically Mm. <laughs> yep. I can't really say much more for that. Yeah, but yeah, basically, yes. Thank you so much. Well, it is. It's just a thank you. That was a summary of it. It was just thanks thanks to anybody in that position who listens to the show because I know there's other people yep. out there who might think, oh, what about me? I do it. Well, thank you too. You know? <laughs> yep, absolutely. Broad spectrum. Yes. Thank there's you. so many people out there that we should thank, just the general community too, for hopefully trying to obey what they're being told now. So mm. it's it's working and hopefully people will get the message that this won't be forever. It's just for now. Yep. Mm. Hey, how can people get in contact with you guys at Piggy's Promise to make donations? Because I think what's cool mm. about you guys and, and why we've chosen to support you really is that a little bit will go a long way. Oh, yes. My <laughs> my big hesitation with charities is I just don't like the idea that I'm paying a CEO's big salary and I don't like, you know, I don't have a lot of money and you want to give to these sorts of things and you want to know that what you're doing is helping and going a long way and not just like, thank you. Thank you very much. We'll throw that in the pile and we'll continue to earn interest on that, you know? Mm. Um, so yeah. you guys, you know, like a really small amount of money, if will help in a big, big way for your big vet bills and transport fees and, and food. And I especially am, love the idea that you do everything that you can to keep dogs in people's homes and, and pay bills where you can, because I think that is one of the things, especially for the homeless, I think that is, it's been my experience that a lot of people are homeless because of their pets, because the system yes. we have here is, you know, we've got a pretty strong safety net in Australia. It, like usually homeless people are so, because of mental health issues or because they have a pet yes. and the pet can't go into the yep. the things that we have, the, the safety pet. net that we have doesn't allow for people's pets usually. And a lot of the times, you know, God bless some people say, no, I'd rather live on the street with my dog than yeah, in a- Because their dog's their family. Yeah, rather than in a home by itself, you know, without their dog and they're not willing to give it up. So yep. I think that anything anybody can do to support that is amazing. Mm. We're really lucky through the show that we have amazing support actually very through much, our Patreon. Very great. Mm. And people have, you know- given us money to assist in the setup of our show. And so for us, we want to donate a thousand dollars to you yep. guys. We're going to lead the cause. Yeah. And so, Oh my God, really? Yeah. Why 100%, not? Right? Why not? <gasps> because I think for, oh. for people like you, that's going to make a big difference, right? That's going to be a, that, that should oh. hopefully make a big impact. And we would encourage everybody Huge. else that can to donate whatever they can, because I feel like I like the idea that $10 from anybody would be a help to you guys. Right. And, and as that can accumulate. So, mm. Yeah, we'll Absolutely. shoot over $1,000. And that's actually, in truth be told, that's from our listeners. Yeah, it is. It's part of the people that listen. But right. like like we said, why why encourage other people to do it and not be a part of that solution ourselves? So, yeah, it's thanks to the people from Patreon who donate to our show to keep us running. 
they've been, as Pat said, they've been a massive, massive help and a massive support for, for keeping our bills paid. So we would like to thank them on behalf of, of this as well. But tell us, how do we, well, tell yes. everybody listening, how do they donate if they want to? Um, sorry, this just made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, they can go onto our website or our Facebook page and all our bank details and everything we're about is on those pages. Mm-hmm. Everything people donate $2 and above is tax deductible because, you know, we're non-profit, non-charitable uh, organisation. I can also send you some details as well of um, how people can donate. We'll put it in the show notes and yeah, we'll post what, it on Facebook. But, but tell us what your website is. Yeah. Our website is peggyspromise.com, I think it is. But we also have our Facebook pages as well where a lot of our animals are on, et cetera, et cetera. So um, our bank details and what we're about is on those Facebook pages as well. Well, that's under Peggy's Promise Rescue. Okay, and it's P-E-G-G-Y-S, right, Peggy's? Yes, promise.com. Cool. Uh, Peggy'spromise.com.au. Yes. That's, that's where people can go. Yeah, that's, I've just looked it up on the internet now. It's peggyspromise.com.au. I was just going to say people obviously want to donate other things such as blankets and beds and things like that. We're more than happy. Three pet stock stores on the Central Coast have our donation bins there. So if people can't monetarily afford to donate, we're more than happy to accept anything, leads, collars, harnesses, anything and everything. Cool. Sounds good. It all gets used. Yeah, I I like that being a small group that's really overstretched. I like the idea that anything that our listeners contribute will go a long way, right? Like it'll be a huge help to you guys, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes, I have a very big garage. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anything else you want to tell people before we go? No, I'd just like to say thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to actually chat to you. It's just been really inspirational and it's it's really made my day, to be honest. Thank you so much. No, thanks for, you, thanks for your sacrifice, Sharon, to you and your team. You guys are all amazing. Anybody who's listening to this from Rescue who is thinking, what about me? I include everybody. This is holistic. I'm saying thank you to everybody who is doing this ethically out there in the world. All of you people yeah. are amazing people. You all deserve applause. You deserve charity. You deserve people's consideration and thanks. Um, because it really is uh, something that you have put a great burden behind and taken it head first. So there is massive appreciation from both of us and a large community that we support as well. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. <laughs> That's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. If you want to support the show, you can do that via Patreon. And as you can see, um, we use that Patreon money in the animal industry as wherever we can to try and do some good. But if you want to contribute above what we just have, please get in contact with the Peggy's Rescue guys and donate anything you can. I think I really like the idea that a small amount will go a long way with those guys. Another way you can support the show is to get onto Teespring and get some cool merch. And if you want to get in contact with us, the best way to do that is on Facebook in the discussion group. Questions are best asked there and that's the best way to get people back to us. But if you need something personal, you can shoot us an email we are info at the canine that's it glenn music <laughs>